Hello, and welcome to Short Takes on Tech. We are live at the IFPA Global Show in Orlando. This is so exciting. I've never done a live podcast, and I've never done an in-person podcast. So actually, it's intimidating to like look at you. <laughs> so very exciting. Yeah. So I'm super excited to be doing this. is the very first one that we're doing. We're going to be talking to 15 companies today and tomorrow. And this is going to be short takes that we're going to put out. But please go and listen to my long-form podcast called Fresh Takes on Tech. So I have my first guest today, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then we'll get going. Good morning, Bonnie, and thanks for all you do to get the message out. We appreciate you very much. I'm Craig Hurlbert, co-founder, co-CEO of Local Bounty. We also have Dave Bosberg, our chief innovation officer with us today also. So why don't you tell us um, what your company does, who you are? Yeah, so Local Bounty is uh, publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. We are an indoor farming company. We have uh, four facilities operational, one in the Northwest, two in California, one in Georgia. And we have an aggressive growth plan over the next five years to deliver delicious, great texture, flavorful products to our customers all across the United States, locally grown. So we cut out on all of the food miles. We cut out on a lot of the water. We use 90% less water, 90% less land. So consumers are getting a locally grown product that is, is flavorful and delicious and grown much more sustainably than traditionally grown produce. So what do you think is important in the industry right now? What do you think about? What, what are the changes? What kind of gets you going? I think I always start with the customer and work our way backwards. Customers today are looking more and more to pay attention to what's going into their bodies and where that product came from and what's going on with that product. And so in our world, in the produce world, or let's say the perishables part of it, you're seeing customers starting to demand more locally grown produce that's grown more sustainably. The world needs to double its food output in 30 years. We've got a tremendous problem. As far as carbon output, food waste is about 25% according to COP26. 25% of the carbon problem is food waste. And we're just wasting way too much product. And I think consumers are looking for better products, better tasting, that lasts longer in their fridges, that is more sustainably grown, and they still want the same price point or better. Yeah. Uh, so that's got to be weighed in there. And Local Bounty is really leading that charge. We have, like I said, in four facilities operational, we have a technology that we've, that we've discovered that allows us to grow produce locally and, uh, and deliver great products to customers. So where can consumers get your product right now? Dave, do you want to take that one? Sure. So we're in... 10,500 doors across the United States, primarily weighted towards the West Coast and the Southeast. And we're excited to expand that over the coming years. Excellent. So what are some of the issues that you see? I mean, I've gotten pretty involved. We're developing this new council on um, CEA. And, and what are some of the issues that the controlled environment ag industry is facing today? It's such an important question and a great question there's multiple facets to growing a successful CEA, Controlled Environment Agriculture Company. And some of them are, are not intuitive. Like for example, it's a very capital intensive business. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand business models that are capital intensive if you're going to succeed in the space. I think our industry has suffered from 
what I would say, an overcommitment and an underdelivery on that commitment. And I think what's happening now, because the opportunity is so massive, specifically with leafies and perishables, the opportunity is so big that I think what you're seeing is some very sophisticated players coming in and are going to really make their mark in this space in the next five years. I believe that there will be a couple of companies that will emerge that will be head over heels above the others in the next few years. In what way? From a technology perspective, a market access? In what way? From viability, viability, from just being viable. As businesses. As businesses, yeah. from being able to grow a product, please a customer, and make a profit at the same time. And there's been a lot of people that could raise a lot of money, yeah. grow a product, maybe please a customer, but not please the shareholder. That's not a quote unquote sustainable business right. in the financial sense. So you have to be sustainable financially so that you can ever see the light of day being a make a move on the sustainability side, environmentally and with employees, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. So what's the future? What, what are you planning on? What are your plans going forward? Well, I think again, back to the customer, the customer makes it exciting for us because they want more product. So literally there's pent up demand for our products. Uh, we have some very exciting, I would say geographic expansion plans. Um, Can you tell us? Yes, we're looking at a facility in Texas. We have a facility under construction in Pasco, Washington. And there will be others that will come along. The other thing I will say is we have also benefited from inorganic growth, i.e. through acquisition. We acquired Pete's uh, right. that closed on April 1st. And so I think there's going to be a consolidation of high quality companies coming together that will help kind of get the geographical profile to where it needs to be so that our customers can ultimately benefit. In addition, there's some very, very exciting things happening on the innovation front. And Dave, maybe you could comment on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think to Craig's point about focusing on the customer, it's all about how do we please that customer in different ways? How do we take our product and raise it to the next level? So we recently released salad kits. We have two kits, uh, Modern Greek and Poppy Power. What's in them? Uh, you know, goodness. Uh, all, <laughs> goodness I can say and is, all I can say is that after they went through the cold chain, I bought them, kept them in my fridge for almost a week, ate them. Excellent. They were so fresh and delicious. And I think we're going to have a number of new salad kits coming out on the market. This is what consumers want. They want convenience. They want healthiness. They want deliciousness. And so we're trying to give that to them. And then the other thing we've been working on, and there's more, you know, I'll just say there's more to come on this topic, are berries. You know, I think... A lot of folks in CEA talk about berries. Uh, there's some on the market for $30 a pound, $40 a pound. Uh, that's not the game that we're going to play. Uh, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it so we provide the return to the shareholders. And, so are the berry know, farms going to be separate farms from the leafy green farms or will they be in the same footprint? they might footprint? share some cold chain and have similar aspects to them. but. Fundamentally, they're, they're a different uh, crop that has a different cycle, different density, uh, requires different, different treatment. So um, there's a lot of good things to come. I think we have an unfair advantage in how we grow baby plants. And that unfair advantage has applications across product types 
and not just in the greenhouse. So I think we're going to see many more exciting things coming. Great. So one last question. What would make this a successful show for you? What are you expecting to get out of this first IFPA global show? And, <laughs> you know, what, what are you expecting? Well, I think it's, first of all, we heard there were 50,000 people here. Dave just heard that number today at the show. So it's obviously a massive operation. I, on the bus ride over this morning, Bonnie, I had two folks from China sitting next to me. And so it's obviously uh, a global type of an operation that they got here. So for us, really, it's meeting with friends in the industry, furthering relationships. Uh, I believe companies that work together typically do better. Uh, so it's, it's kind of keeping those relationships fresh. You touched on it at the very top of the podcast. It's so exciting to be in person as someone that maybe uh, on the older end of the spectrum of the people here, being around other human beings is just fantastic. So technology is great. Zoom calls are great, but there's nothing like City with Bonnie yeah. talking about, you know, the CEA industry. So you get that technology is great, but you get that personal touch. I think also it's an opportunity for us to showcase what we're doing and uh, to really learn more about some of the other companies that we'd like to learn more on how they may be able to help us or how we may be able to help them. So it's just a big opportunity for us to really to learn and to and to uh, really further the relationships that we already have in place. Excellent. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for being my first guest and uh, thanks for the work that you do and I look forward to seeing you later. Thank you, Bonnie. Right. Appreciate it. Good morning, day two of the podcast live from the IFPA show in Orlando. We're doing short takes on tech where we have 10 minute conversations with exciting companies and hear what they're doing and hear what they're doing at the show. And my first guest this morning is someone who I have been on stage with countless times uh, and really love to- Don't comment uh, on our age, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Love to spend time with and love talking to. And we could do this for an hour, but we've only got 10 minutes. So I've got uh, John Purcell from Unfold, and John, I'll have you introduce yourself in the company. Sure, John Purcell. I'm a Chief Strategy Officer for Unfold, and we are a uh, seed and digital solutions provider focusing on the CEA sector, the controlled environment agriculture sector, but also more specifically around vertical or indoor farming. Excellent. So we've had lots of conversations about this industry, and yesterday we had a panel on um, CEA and just talking about some of the issues in the industry. And one of the things that came up at kind of where we are at this stage in the industry is the industry is getting more mature and there's more collaboration. What do you see around the collaboration and how that's helping, and what else we need to do? Yeah, I think this is really when you think about controlled environment, it, it really is a confluence of amazing technologies. And I like to describe it as Silicon Valley meets Salinas Valley, where you really are bringing in such heavy data intensive practices, but also the automation, the uh, mechanics, as well as, in our world, the, the, the genetic side. And so I think it's going to be that confluence of technologies. And I think controlled environment is really taking the best of many worlds, putting it into food production. And how do we, how do we really grow, uh, grow our crops more effectively and have better quality in the end? Yeah. 
And do you see companies working more together, both on the technology side and the grower side? And you know, how do you see that kind of evolving? Oh, I do, and I think, and, and, and it's, it's not just companies. I think it's the disciplines we're attracting. I yeah. mean, I look at our company. We have as you know as many data and software engineer people as we do people that are involved in the genetic side, and we have people that are involved in the mechanics and, the, and the, you know how a farm actually runs. And that's that's what this is all about. And that's what's great about conferences like this, where you literally can see every slice of technology there. And that's what it's going to take. You know, if we're going to really get the kind of food systems in place, have the kind of produce that people are excited about, you got to bring every technology to bear to, to, to make that happen. How many people do you have now? At the company? Uh, we're coming up on 30 now. So, wow, yeah, two years. So uh, it's, we're growing pretty quickly and uh, it's exciting. And, and it's fine is we're attracting folks that may not be, I mean, I'm come from the traditional ag kind of background, but we're attracting folks from, from all kinds of disciplines who want to take the skills they have, but plug it into food, which is a really fun time to be, you know, wow. to see, to see that the, 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 the kind of people that are being attracted now to be in fresh produce. It's, it's a different world than it was. That is exciting. Yeah. And they want to be a part of something that matters. That's what it is. You know, yeah. and we're drawing them in from some of the, you know, some, some of the big, uh, <laughs> dot coms, you know, but the, uh, uh, they, the reason they get attracted to this is we're producing food for and doing it in a way better for the planet, right? Yeah. And so they, it, it, it appeals to them at a core value system. And when you can do that, then you're going to get great talent. Yeah, it's interesting. Just I live a mile away from Meta, former Facebook, and mm. just talking to people in that area. And, you know, a lot of young people, they, yeah, I could get a job making a lot more at Meta, but I really would love to go into agriculture. Isn't know? that fun to hear, yeah. though? <laughs> it, <laughs> it, is. Awesome. it really is fun, you know. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's amazing. At the presentation, the panel that we did yesterday, it was interesting to um, look out in the audience and also talking to other people who were there. So a lot of people who came to that were not people in the CEA industry. Yeah, and yeah. so I kind of that was kind of my expectation that it would be a lot of people. It's like, oh, I want to go listen to my competitors or yeah. I want to hear the update from AeroFarms and yeah. and I want to hear updates, you know, from the different companies. But it actually was people outside of CEA. So what do you think about that part of the industry? Like we've, you know, you and I have been living in this part of it for a long time and think that everybody knows everything that yeah. there is to know. But when outdoor growers are are curious. I think it, yeah. it, it at the beginning there was a little bit um, indoor versus outdoor, but I think now that's those lines are blurring, and I think a lot of the outdoor growers and retailers are just curious about what this industry is about, and and how do you think that's going to progress, and yeah, how do we? And I, I think I, I worked at open field for years. I worked in a, every kind of grower: open field, greenhouse, glasshouse, high tech, uh, glasshouse, uh, now vertical farms. But I think. Uh, what's cool is there is definitely a cross fertilization, and, I, and we saw that the you know the, the session, we, the panel you had a couple weeks ago. They asked me to be part of it was great in the Washington conference. That was a pretty diverse audience, and, yeah. and what you what you understood was people are getting it that it's a new it's new in some ways, but in some ways it's not. I mean, this movement toward what can we do to to bring in under protected culture or, or controlled environment, whether it's as simple as a net house to keep your pests out, or to a higher tech glass house, or to a vertical farm. The principle is. There's a lot of challenges out there, a lot of stresses that plant is facing. So 
whatever you can do to avoid the biotic or the abiotic stresses, that's a good day. And I do think there's, there is a cross-fertilization because you can learn things what's happening in the open field that translate to what's going to happen indoors. And then you can learn things indoors about how to manage a crop that will help the farmers that are, that are still growing outdoors. Because we need it all. I mean, that's yeah. what I say. You know, it is not an either or. This is an, an and. Because we got to have every kind of production we need because they're meeting different markets and they're meeting different production needs. And, and so... I do really am encouraged by the amount of crosstalk and just the fact you're showing up at indoor ag conferences now. There were five years, I was one of the few people that was really at indoor ag conferences with very tech oriented. Oh, Whereas now you're starting to see more produce people there. And the same thing, more indoor ag people showing up at the produce conferences. But this is good because we're all part of one, one big ecosystem, right? Yeah. And so we need to figure out how do we help each other. It was interesting. I was having a conversation yesterday at our CEA meet and greet and with one of the large seed breeders. And she was talking about just from a, and you'll definitely get this, from a seed breeder perspective of some of the things that probably some of the indoor farms may not be thinking about. But she was talking about germination and kind of the importance of germination yeah. and, and really looking at if, you know, if there's a seed that you didn't, that didn't have good germination rates and how you're doing it before and now you're doing it indoors and now you have this whole other genetics that you can work with and just people paying attention both on the seed and the genetic side and then also on things like germination and so I think companies yeah. like yours that have a background and kind of straddle both you can yeah. really bring that to the industry because you can't expect you can't expect these companies that are building these indoor farms to know everything about everything. You no. know? And they've kind of done it that way. But you know. No, but the other thing that's cool about it is we're having lots of conversations, frankly, with even if the crop is ultimately going to end up uh, in an open field, or can uh, breeding programs use controlled environment or vertical farm technologies to actually do some of the breeding programs or to do germination, things like that. So I think there's there's elements of this that'll help no matter what production system the crop may ultimately grow, either from a development cycle time for, for breeding programs or for the actual the physical um, manipulations like germination, right? You yeah. know, why wouldn't you use uh, you know an environment that's very controlled to do germination? So and you're starting to see hybrid operators come out where they might use a vertical operating uh, system for the germination and then move into larger greenhouses for production. But that's cool because that, what it's saying is let's look at the technologies that are out there. Let's figure out how to apply them. And then they're going to have probably some applicability, not just in the primary area you're focusing on, but more broadly across all the production systems that might, that might benefit from them. Yeah. One question I wanted to touch on before we have to wrap up here is just, we had talked about this a little bit in, in um, our tech council the other day, but where does innovation come from? Um, and how do we get innovation into the industry? And we've touched on a little bit about how much there is out there and how we need to bring it in, but what do you see? Well, I, I think one of the cool things really, frankly, about this meeting is if you look, you tend to think of innovation in, in just sort of the technology kind of realm or the genetics realm and the science piece of it, but then when you go around a conference like this and you see how much innovation is happening at the packing and, and shipping level, how much is happening at the retail level, it's not just at the beginning of this thing is you know the cool science that goes on. There's innovation happening across our entire industry, and that's what's really fun about conferences like this, frankly, because you see that there isn't one source. <laughs> there yeah. literally is. You're getting things, and I just think about you know, for me when I think about industries like uh, our you know telecom or think about cars. Cars do things that we never imagined they would do, you know, even 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, our phones, would you ever think that, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't be picking your laptop up to, to do all the things now you could do on your phone? So I think what's cool about those, those kinds of sectors, it shows 
there's a lot of innovation out there and lots of things, and we can now apply it. But I think in produce, it's happening across the entire chain. Everything from starting with seed to the production to to the package shipping to the uh, to, to the retail level, and we got to take advantage of external technologies and how they can help us. But within the industry, there's tremendous innovation that's happening at all levels of the chain. Yeah, and just figuring out how to use things. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up is, as you mentioned, I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about electric vehicles yeah. and they were talking about how that, um, especially with the trucks, to not think about the truck as a vehicle. So it's just like your phone is no longer a phone. It's it's your everything. But like with a truck, um, an electric truck, you can take that to the construction site and fuel all of your tools. You can plug yeah. in all your tools. So right. it's your it's your energy source. Right. And one guy was saying, yeah, I can run the I can run my house on the electricity from I, my car as a generator. I just bought a hybrid truck and the it's the the power load on it is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you literally when you're camping, you can actually use it yeah, as a, that's what you're it, no, no, it's it's from but that's a cool a, a really cool thing. It's like, yeah, it, you think see, about it differently. There's functionality that that comes with it that goes beyond what what you imagine with the original concept you may have been working on. So yeah. that's a great example. All right. Unfortunately, we have to stop. Oh, Bonnie, we can talk all day. But, uh, but <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> great seeing you. Thank all you right. much. Thanks. Nervous. Thanks. Bye-bye. Good morning. We're continuing to do our live podcast at IFPA. We're doing short takes, 10-minute conversations with great companies at uh, live at the show in Orlando. And these will go out um, live stream and then also on the app. And then they'll also go out as podcasts later as part of my podcast, Fresh Takes on Tech. So we'll start our next conversation and I will turn it over to you. Thanks, Bonnie. My name is Ali Daniali. I'm the founder of Harvest, H-R-V-S-T-S. And we are a company that grows and sells specialty produce to food service, and we do it differently by giving uh, food service the choice of what kind of variety they want, and we grow it for them within indoor farms. So you actually do the growing, or do you contract out the growing? We or? contract out the growing to a network of indoor farmers who are part of our uh, network, and from seed to delivery, we're involved in the process. So once a food service uh, or institutional buyer gives us an order, prepays for that order, we send the seeds to the oh. actual grower uh, with an offtake agreement, and they grow, and once it's harvested, we have uh, third-party logistics that picks it up and delivers it within that day, wow. uh, within 24 hours after it's harvested. And what's the geographic area that you work in? Farmer and buyer are no more than 15 to 20 miles away. So keep transportation costs extremely low and freshness high. And where, who's your seed provider? Where do the seeds come from? Well, we are right now working with Johnny's Seeds, and uh, they seem to be the, the one that are focusing on um, seeds that are good for indoor growing and the varieties for it. So are your growers, is this their primary business is working and supplying you or are they, are they bigger and they do other things or how does that network work? This, it's a spectrum. Uh, we work with first time growers that we actually help get them established in gr indoor growing. So we have partners, manufacturing partners that will 
will work with with uh, somebody who hasn't ever grown before and will help them open up a market to establish CEAs that have already been growing for years and have available capacity. What's interesting about our platform is we take a, a software as a service approach and we created what's called indoor farming as a service. And that process allows us to actually understand the capacity that's available within these farms. So, and that can change over different harvests and prior, by connecting directly to the crop management software at a software level, we get to know when a harvest is going to happen and they will have availability to grow something new. So before that happens, we're, we're in front of them to the, to the grower saying, look, looks like you have the ability to grow 500 pounds of, of wasabi arugula. I've got a buyer that wants that grow this for us with a, a, an offtake agreement. They get the seed, they go on it, and then we're able to then deliver it to the grower, uh, to the buyer immediately. For a crop like that, what's the cycle time? Six weeks. Okay. Six, seven weeks. And then uh, there's four-week lettuce, there's five-week lettuce. There's all sorts of different kinds of times, but typically it's between the six to eight-week harvest time. And if someone, uh, you were saying if someone was a new grower, do you suggest technology or how they should set up a greenhouse or how do they, are they find their own and you kind of help them or how does that really piece? depends on their location, how much space they do have their, um, their specific location zoning, their experience in other types of farming. If none, then, um, uh, we'll typically work with, um, shipping container farms. Ah, okay. Um, we do, we have growers that have a tremendous amount of grow capacity with a 320 square foot uh, footprint of a shipping container. They can grow a thousand heads of lettuce. So we can not only take that space and fractionalize it, but we can also aggregate it by understanding it like Airbnb for, for vertical farming. We can know what space is available where and, and fit it to what the, the actual contract of that uh, food service company is. And you've, I've heard you talk about, use the term craft produce. Yes. And um, the, when I heard your, your pitch a couple weeks ago, you were talking about some of the different types of produce that you grew and, and some of your kind of origin story of why you care about this. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. This whole journey started for me when I was in my previous employment at T-Mobile. And I got really interested in becoming a fresh produce grower in vertical farms. And I interviewed uh, a lot of growers and kept asking them where they are having problems, where what what's successful for them. And what became really clear was there's two questions that vertical farm indoor growers guess at. One was, what am I going to grow next? And there's a lot of choices there. And then who am I going to sell to? And because it wasn't data-driven, there was uh, choices Throwing being made. They're <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so like, oh, they're becoming, you know, quote unquote, gentlemen farmers. Yeah. And and uh, there was a waste in the most efficient 
system that can grow leafy greens and herbs, you had inefficiency being introduced because of lack of data. So I put it upon myself to solve that problem. And if I was going to become a grower, I had to, I had to solve it. And by doing this software as a service, we've flipped the equation for growers. It's actually a push versus a pull type of equation where the buyer is actually telling the grower what to grow and to what, what quantity, at what time, all year availability. So when that happens, you get exact match of supply and demand and very little waste. And that's one of our tenets. Is our, one of our missions is to have zero waste in that fresh specialty produce um, buy and sell. And I think that's really unique, and it requires software, and it requires understanding the grower and the farm and what it can do and understanding the buyer intimately and be able to match those two together. And how do you find your buyer customers in food service? Well, there's a lot of fresh produce being sold. We, we actually open up markets where there is supply. So we don't go just, I mean, there's fresh produce being bought in all parts of the country. Uh, because the constraint is on indoor farming, we start from the, the, the supply side and really help growers open up becoming their sales and marketing arm for their area. And one part of our business is to actually help grow indoor farming, small, medium-sized indoor growers by being part of like the CEA council, the IPA CA council, to be able to talk about it and be able to uh, really bring a perspective to that it's important for those growers to be part of the IPA so they have a voice. Because ultimately, what's happened is that large ag CEA growers really are chasing scale. Right. Not good or bad. That's yeah. their because that's, that's their, their business. business that's their business model. And scale is is uh, all focused most of it on grocery, and and then that's limited variety by by just choice that they have to do. What we're uh, trying to bring is a decentralized growing network. We're trying to build a, this decentralized growing network for sustainability and resiliency with small hold, small, uh, medium-sized indoor growers so that variety comes back into the equation. That's why craft produce made sense as a, as a terminology. It's uh -huh. like we're crafting specialty produce that you usually are very, are not even getting today because it just doesn't, it's perishable. It's not going to come from abroad very well. Or it's just people don't have the palate for it. And now that there's a, a growth in actual food consumption that is related to Hispanic, Italian, and the uh, Asian markets, those foods, there's a huge demand for it. So people want the fresh greens. Mm -hmm. And now they're just forced for to get it as a... Uh, frozen, mm. right? But now we can actually grow it really local to them using indoor growing and have it on their plates in food service and, and in a way that I don't think has been really been available besides your backyard garden. Right. 
right? <laughs> or, or, you know, some greenhouses that focused on that. Unfortunately, we're going to have to stop. Yes, um, that, that went fast. I know, I yes. know. Um, what's your website or how can people find out more? Sure. Our, our website is hrvsts.com. And I am on all the socials. You certainly are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and my email is ali at hrvsts.com. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.